Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Faith Middleton here with your welcome toast. It was Orson Welles who said, My doctor told me to stop having intimate dinners for four unless there are three other people. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. What a show we have for you. We're going to talk about the meals you remember with a loved one. This is inspired by a new memoir, Eating with Peter. We have all kinds of kitchen tips, and Isabella Nunez, who's 10, listens to our show all the time, and so we wanted to meet her and talk about food with her. She is here. Hi, Izzy. Hi. Hey. Uh, We have other guests. I'll tell you in a second. My food buddies are here. Senior contributor Chris Brasberry and Alex Province. Alex is at our sister public station, KJZZ in Phoenix. Senior producer Robin Doyen-Aiken. I mentioned Isabella Nunez and her proud grandparent, Donald Walker, who's associate professor of Gateway Community College. Hey, everybody. Hey. hey. It's great to have you here. Special well, guests. Here we are at, um, at Gateway Community College. This is our home here. And at this big G, we play in five professional kitchens that are part of Gateway's culinary education training program. So out of the box, I wanted to talk about pop-up restaurants. Now, Izzy, you were asking me just before the show, what are those? Do you kind of get it now? Could you yes. explain it back to me? They're big restaurants that make um, like a mobile restaurant of the big one that they have. And the pop-up means... Just pops out of nowhere. I know. Isn't that cool? And, so and it can I, be anywhere, right? I just love these. It could be on the riverside. It could be on a farm. Yeah. It could be in the city park. It could be in the parking lot of another restaurant. Side now. of the highway. Side of the highway. At a brewery. At a brewery, yeah. Now, now do yeah. we think that regular food trucks that don't have a restaurant, those aren't pop-ups, really? They it's, can be, though, when they pop up at a brewery. is a perfect example. Like, we have legitimists in New Hartford, and on Saturdays, you'll see flyers or online notifications that they'll have a pop-up food truck come. So if you're there tasting their beer that Saturday or yeah. Sunday afternoon, in comes the food truck so you can have lunch and beer. I was just at a harbor on the east end of Long Island in Greenport. I'm there quite often, and this winery did a pop-up there, Croteau. They do nothing but make rosés, and we're going to talk about a sparkling rosé in just a little bit. And it was the most fun. They brought a truck and then started unloading lobster rolls and bottles and bottles of their wine. Wow. 
Yeah, it was really pretty great. Really and cool. we, we just sat there on the water with boats going back and forth, the ferry steaming mm-hmm. in and out, carrying cars yeah. over to the other side to Shelter Island. It was so much fun, and the, and the wine is just terrific. Okay, want to do a lightning round of kitchen tips? Chris, what do you have? This is to make your life in the kitchen a lot easier. Yeah, and this is not so much the kitchen, but the grill. And if you're like me and you like barbecue and you do it with wood chips on your grill, um, the key to that is soaking your wood chips first, right? That way, when you put them on the grill, they don't just burst into flames, right? They get nice and smoky. So what I usually do is put them in a pan, but then they float, and you got to flip them and put rocks on top of them. Um, but this comes from Cooks Illustrated, and the person who wrote in said, all you need to do is place them in a Ziploc bag, put water in the Ziploc bag, seal it, and then they just sit in the water, and you can transport them to the grill that way, too, so you're not sloshing water all over the house like I'm known to do. Do you, do you, do you folks grill at home? Yes, a lot. I will take the wood chips and soak them. One of the things I've done on a gas grill, I will take the wood chips and I'll put them into aluminum foil and then punch holes in the aluminum yes. foil and put them right onto oh, the grate. Clever man. And yeah. it smokes... And they don't catch on fire. They don't catch on fire. Smoke yes. coming out of the holes in the perfect. Wow. What fun is that if they yeah. don't catch on fire? <laughs> <laughs> Here was another one from Cooks Illustrated. This was from last year, and I love this. You know how we take muffin tins when we're making muffins, and you have to mm-hmm. grease them. You're, you're nodding, Izzy, so you must yes. make muffins. Yeah, yes. you have to grease them up a little bit. And a lot of people yeah. use one of those spray cans, and they spray yes. it, and then what happens? The spray goes all over the counter. Yeah, and so. It does. Do you notice it? Yes, I do. Made a big mess on that. You did? Yeah. Yeah, so me too. So here's tell me what you think of this tip. If you open the dishwasher door and put it out flat, the door, then you put your muffin tin on the inside of the dishwasher door that's lying flat like a shelf. And then you do your spraying, and when the spray goes all over the place, it's on the inside of the dishwasher door, so that when you do the dishes, you close the door and it washes right off. Oh my oh, gosh, wow, that awesome. is brilliant! I like that. I'm going to do that for like flowering so. too. Yeah, yeah. Well, what else can I do? What else, what other kitchen I mean, I know, prep Robin, can I do? I'm going to be cooking in the uh, <laughs> yeah. dishwasher. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to eat off my dishwasher doors. <laughs> <laughs> Really, that tip Join is me genius. for dinner in the dishwasher. That's also good for safety because if you get that spray on the tile floor, it makes it super slippery. Oh, That's you right. found that out the yes, hard way. Yes, the hard way. Okay, Alex, what do you have? Anyone making sangria this summer or iced tea or whatever, take fruit and freeze it like blueberries or strawberries. And then when you go to make sangria or like a wine spritzer or iced tea, you just take the strawberries out of the Ziploc bag from the refrigerator, throw them in, and use them as ice cubes. So this is assuming that everybody knows how to make sangria. Alex, if you were making it with no alcohol, what juice would you use? Grape juice, maybe with a little 7-Up just to give it some bubbles. But basically, you would just take a pitcher, slice up some oranges, some lemons, some limes, maybe some apples or pears or melons if you want, strawberries, add a little sprinkle of sugar to the fruit that's on the bottom of the pitcher. And then I would add grape juice if you're not using wine, some ice cubes, and then maybe just a little dash of something sparkling like 7-Up or if you don't want the sugar, club soda, and give it a little stir and pour it into a glass of some frozen strawberries and blueberries. Yum. Mm. So if you wanted to use wine for sangria, you would take your sliced up fruit, put it in the bottom of a pitcher, add a little bit of sugar, and then I'd add a little brandy, a little vodka, maybe gin, and you I mean would let one that one of those. Some people use all of them, <laughs> but 
Traditionally, really? yes. Splash yep. and spade. Not, not, not glug, yeah. glug, glug, but just a splash of each. Just week. a couple yeah. of ounces, yeah. you know. So I think total volume might be between a third of a cup of alcohol and maybe a cup. For a pitcher. And then you, you would allow that alcohol and fruit and sugar mixture to sort of pull out the juices of the fruit. Master so that would go in the refrigerator. You could do overnight even. And the next day, you have this super flavored juice on the bottom of the pitcher. And to that, I would use a dry but fruity red wine, like Grenache or Grenache, Tempranillo, Beaujolais Nouveau, something not terribly expensive, but not oaked, nice and fruity. Pour a bottle of that in, add some ice cubes. And then if you want to make it a little bubbly, you could add 7-Up or club soda or seltzer or even Italian sparkling water. And then serve that in a beautiful glass filled with ice cubes and maybe yeah. garnish with Fruit. like a lemon slice. Are you thinking slice. of a wine glass? You know, you could use a big goblet, but yeah. if you're outside, maybe more stable just to use like a big old-fashioned. Ball jar. You know, yep. big, Ball yeah. jar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I always say this warning, though. Everyone loves to eat the fruit, right? But the fruit has alcohol in it because it's, it's you know, massive. absorbed a lot of the the alcohol. And sangria, if you do use, say, brandy, it has a lot more alcohol, obviously, but you won't taste it. So be mindful when you're drinking sangria outside. It's a cocktail. It's a cocktail and people are driving home. So you do, you really have to be careful. You bet. Okay. Mm -hmm. The man I always mention every year when we say something about sangria is a man who wrote in, I apologize for not remembering his name. It's terrible of me to do that. I think he was Portuguese, and he said the tradition in his family was to get a big bowl and cut up all kinds of fruit and put that fruit in that bowl the day before his party, his friends, maybe family coming over. Then he would take a bottle of very inexpensive sparkling red wine, like say a cava, which is about $10, $11 a bottle, and put it in on top of the fruit. He put some plastic wrap over that. In the refrigerator, it goes for 24 hours. And so when it's time the next day to have that either as a drink or a dessert over something or just a fun thing to have at the end of the meal, it is ready to go. It's just the most delicious thing. I highly recommend it. So here is a tip about needing an ice bath. You know you need a big chunk of ice or a bunch of ice cubes and something because you're cooking vegetables and you want to put them in the water and you want them to stop cooking. I do that with boiled eggs. Well, you know those plastic containers we all get stuff in at the market? We get oh, coleslaw. Yeah. Pint we get everything. That's it. Yeah. This woman fills them up with water and puts them in the freezer. And when it's time to chill something down fast, instead of running back and forth with handfuls of ice cubes, which melt immediately and have to be replenished, she takes one of these big ones and just smacks it on the bottom and out it comes and it cools things down instantly. And they stack in your freezer. That's a great idea. So including your sangria, if it's in a punch bowl or any kind of punch that you might have out in the summertime, some kind of summer lemonade-y thing. You can freeze the fruit right in those pint containers with the water and let it flow. really nice. That's a great great idea, idea. Chris. Did anyone else grow up with the gallon plastic milk jugs? You wash them out and then you fill them with water and freeze them. And then when you had to fill a big cooler, you just 
go to the mm-hmm. freezer, pull them out, and you use like a hammer and you just bang them and then sort of use it to open up the bottom and then all this free ice comes out. Yep. This is a tip I love for folks who are on vacation right now listening kid. to us. Yeah. Or if you're going to a cottage pretty soon, you don't know what's in the drawers of that cottage, what utensils you have, and you have to really be inventive. The one thing you're going to forget is your ice packs. So that is a great, great tip. Another one I saw was, you know those shelf liners that are kind of variegated and they're plasticky, but they stick to things? Mm -hmm. You might turn your glasses over on the counter when you're putting your glasses away. You use that stuff. These people were at a cottage, and they didn't have a garlic thing to strip the peels off the garlic and do what they wanted to do. So they used a little square of that that they found in Great the drawer. Idea. And just sort of roll and it. And roll it and it completely oh, stripped the, the garlic thing and they could do a whole bunch of them and make whatever they're going to make. Cool idea, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that is. Yeah. By the way, I really like that guy's idea on uh, using sparkling wine to make sangria. I'm going to try that. That's not a Spanish thing, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure he was from mm. Portugal. Yeah, well, close enough. Yes, close enough is right. All right, we're on the subject of sparkling red wine, and I'm going to pour some right here into this glass. Oh, you guys have some. Yeah, we tested. Alex is in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and we decided to open this bottle of Francis Ford Coppola's Sophia, which is a tribute to his daughter. It is a a brut rosé, so a dry, sparkling rosé, and yet it's floral forward. Chris, yeah, want- I like the color. That salmon pink, but very pale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. This was good. What did we say? Around 20, 20? 20, yeah, 21. Yeah, something like that. And it's from Connecticut Distributors. It's on our website. It's the kind of thing that goes with anything, wouldn't you say, Don? Yeah, so it was great. We had it with uh, mac and cheese. Of all <laughs> it was, it, and it was a great pairing. That's thanks to Chris and in tribute to Izzy. Chris, was your idea to do this version of mac and cheese in tribute to Izzy because we were told you like mac and cheese? I love it. You make yeah. it at home ever? or? Um, I think I helped make it a few times for Thanksgiving. Her father and her mother are both great cooks, and so is her grandmother. And when Izzy's around, she, is, she becomes a sous chef. Your grandmother, Tony Walker happens to be a state representative. We're just going to toss that in. Um, it's somebody I admire, actually. She's a good cook, Izzy, would you say? She's awesome. She's an awesome cook. Everything she makes is really good. And mm-hmm. what, what's your favorite that she makes, where you would say, please make that over and over again? Oh, she does an awesome beef stew. She does? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to try and get an invitation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, it was your idea that we do uh, Linda Juca's pastina, and we have transformed it into a summer pastina with corn. Oh, yeah. Out of all the mac and cheeses I think I've ever made, this is the easiest. It tastes like a mac and cheese that you took hours to make, but really, it's nothing. It is so fast, and it has a technique that's so different from any other pasta. I love it. I love this. I love it. And again, this is from Linda Juca, and the first time I saw her make it, you should have seen my jaw on the floor because I couldn't believe it. So she measures out the water, right, which I've never done in pasta. Puts it in the pot. You bring it up to a simmer. A little bit of salt goes in. Then you put your pasta in. You cook it till it's done. Orzo. Yeah, we're using orzo, but you can use any small pasta. As soon as you get it to the, you're liking, either al dente or whatever, instead of taking it to the sink and straining it at this point, you don't. 
you leave it just as it is with the water still in it. Now take some butter and some cheese and you mix it in while it's still simmering, right? While the water's still going. So you got a little bit of butter and some cheese. You can use American cheese, cheddar, whatever, you know, good melting cheese. It's still simmering? It's still simmering. Okay. Then once you get your cheese melted and your butter melted, then you turn it off and you have one egg. You whip it in a little bowl with a fork. And then while it's off the heat, you've just drizzle that egg in and mix it in. The residual heat from the pasta that's left will cook the egg thoroughly. And when does the corn go in? It thickens. The corn goes in right at the end. And then there's a grating of cheese on the top. Yeah, you can. That's optional. You can put a little Parmesan on it, or you can eat it just like that. The wildest thing, because... I've never seen a pasta made with oh. the water still in there. Yeah. And the and egg, you becomes, taste the egg? It no. becomes a sauce. It no. It becomes a sauce. It's just so creamy yeah. because of that. And because you did it, the egg off oh. the heat, it doesn't scramble. It just thickens oh. the pasta water with the salt, right, and the cheese and the little bit of butter. And you make a perfect cheese sauce. That was very good mac and cheese. What do yeah. you think, Is? I loved it. What was the total of time that it About 10 minutes because it takes about 7 minutes to cook the pasta. Then as soon as the pasta's cooked, you just dump it in, take it off the heat, put the egg in it, and you're done. It's so simple. Izzy's busy. She needs quick weeknight meals. All right, we're going to give you that recipe. You're going to make it for your mom and dad. Deal? We're going to give you the recipe. And (laughs) grandparents. Yes, and the grandparents. Um, This this recipe for Linda G's, we call it Linda Jukas, summer pastina with corn, is online at foodschmooze.org. So is the wine. So is everything we talk about on the show. Ahead, we've got Mexican street corn and lots more. More mouth-watering conversation and fun on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. And I hope you'll make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. Just want to hang out with you. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. I'm Faith Middleton. You can sign up for a copy of the show every week, a podcast. We'll send it to you for free. It just ends up in your inbox. And you can listen whenever you want on your schedule. That's the way most people do it now, although it is fun, I have to say, to listen to something live. But in any case, if you want to get the podcast, as a lot of people do, and have it as a kind of archive, you can do that. Just go to foodschmooze.org. 
enter your information, you're good to go. And also all of our recipes and all of our stuff is right there. I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, wine broker Alex Province, also senior contributor, and our special guests are Isabella Nunez and her grandfather, Donald Walker, who is associate professor at Gateway Community College. And we want to also say hi to uh, State Rep Tony Walker, the grandmother. Okay, I cannot stay away from corn. Ugh. And every year I say, okay, that's enough corn. <laughs> you know, Never. Let's stop with the corn. Too much corn. All I hear is the sentence, would everybody like to get corn? And I say, yes. Get absolutely. in the car, get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ooh, how about some Mexican street corn? Take some sweet corn. Pull the husks off. You're going to grill the corn on a hot grill, and you're going to purposely try to get grill marks, right? Inside, in a bowl, you're going to take some mayonnaise, some Mexican crema, crumble cortija cheese. You're not going to be familiar with it, but it's in the grocery store in the deli department. You're going to take a little ancho chili powder, a little minced garlic, some chopped cilantro, and now in that bowl, you mix it, and you're going to end up with this white creamy sauce. Now, take the corn off, dump this white sauce on the corn, and roll it around, and then you're going to put it back on the grill for a few seconds just to kind of cook the garlic flavor out of it. Now, bring it to the table on a big wooden board and take some more of that cortija cheese. It's almost like the texture of Parmesan once you grate it. And then, Chris, I use the... um, What's it called? Tahine. Tahine. Oh. Yeah. And I sprinkle that because it's bright red, and that's just chili powder with dehydrated lime, but it's sour and just delicious. It's not very spicy. Alex is uh, mentioning a couple things, and you might say to yourself, like the cotija cheese, where am I going to get that? But Chris. Yeah, Stop and Shop has it now, which I was shocked. Alex mentioned crema. You might say, where am I going to get that? You sour there cream, too. Yeah. or you sour yeah. cream if you can't or you find sour it. cream. You can hear this is like putting a sauce on corn oh, so and then cooking yeah. it. And when you're in New York City and in some places around Connecticut, there are Mexican street corn stands all over the place. And, oh, boy, yeah. is it fun to stop in them. To make sure you, you have dental floss afterwards. Yeah. You, and you lots of napkins. I was going to say, it's, yeah. it's pretty messy. But it's <laughs> so good. It's worth every crumb. Don't be wearing anything <laughs> you know, really good. If, Faith, you know how I said you take the husk and you peel it back? You can actually keep the husk still on the corn. Just yes. peel it back Use instead it of cutting handle. it. Yeah, and it's a handle, Chris. And it gets all charry and smells good, and then you hold it by the husk. I'll start my official corn season by saying I love Faith's way. It's the best way to cook corn that I've ever had, and I do it a hundred times a season. It's Remind a ca- me. Cast That's... iron pan, a little bit of butter, take the corn off the husk, and then just put oh. it in the pan and just keep going until it gets caramel. And you it's sort of me, scrape the bottom. Bottom. You're leaving out the butter. Oh yeah. no! I said a little yeah. bit of butter in the no. bottom. Oh, no, a Actually, lot of butter. Quite a, lot. Quite a, quite a <laughs> lot of butter. It's like brown I, butter. I really don't want to take credit for that. I learned how to do that from Emily Olshansky and Roma Baron on the east end of Long Island. They are just exquisite at making it. That's where I learned to do it. Just just the way they do it. So I do a little um, salt I'll, I'll and pass the compliment on to them. Sometimes? I do squeeze Ooh, a lime on you. Love it. You can almost do a little chopped red pepper or some green beans as well, oh, turn it into a succotash. Sure, you could do anything. That's the thing about yeah, corn. Put corn in everything this time of year, right? I always say buy a dozen ears that you're going to use now and buy another yeah. dozen that you're going to, after you're done, just take in the, put it in the pot, cook it real quick, leave it on the counter while you're eating, and then after you're done cleaning up, just take it off the cob, put it in the refrigerator. I throw it in salads, right, on top of, like, greens. You can make salsas. I mean, Are it's you just, saving 
the cobs for soup later, yes, freezing them. Could, no, you, you, with, with 24, you have enough to make a broth. It's so good. Yeah. You just water a little bit of salt in the water, and then you take the cobs and you just crack them and put them in there and just simmer them for 45 oh. minutes. And you get this sweet cornstock that you can do for soups and sauces. It's It really is like liquid gold. In this season buy a lot of extra corn. You don't even have to cook it. Just cut the corn off the cob and put those kernels into plastic containers or glass containers, whatever you want, and stick them in the freezer. So get an extra bushel of corn and do this. (laughs) If you save enough corn... You can do fresh corn at Thanksgiving. That's the thing I'm aiming for because it's so fun. So is a bushel that the green bag yeah. that, that the corn comes in? <laughs> I get I get four a week at the restaurant. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Because we freeze it for the whole year, but we use it. Like I said, we put oh, it you in do? everything. You freeze it for the year. We freeze it for the year, yeah, it, because it's only around till you know, September-ish, by right? The, Maybe by the way, that, that corn in the skillet, what I want to put yeah. in there, you know, with all that butter is uh, some crumbled bacon. Oh, yeah. Bacon goes with everything. (laughs) It does. I I knew I liked you, Donald Walker. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I save my bacon fat. I wonder if a scoop of bacon fat and butter in the cast iron. You know, I don't know. Maybe a little half and half. Half half. So half a stick of butter. (laughs) (laughs) I put a stick stick of butter in it? Wow, see, I don't use that much. It's big skillet. I do like it. Yeah, it's solid. It's, a lot it's an easy way to measure. <laughs> okay, two. <laughs> Just by the stick. You know, here in the grocery store in Phoenix, they actually have pork lard. So you can actually oh, wow. buy pork fat. But the real Imagine thing, it. right? Not that the processed strange one that's not mm-hmm. good for you. But the, the real, real thing, thing is actually, they say uh, yeah. in st- certain studies that have been done, that it's no worse for you than butter. Remember the New York Times did that story on making pie crust? Oh, and yeah. they did it with butter yep. on one crust, mm-hmm. lard on yep. another fat. pie crust, mm-hmm. chicken fat yeah. on another pie yeah. crust, and the last one, duck fat. Yeah. I think the butter crust won, but they were all pretty interesting. I, I love it when you put a little pork fat in the crust, though. Yeah. Can I just tell you, if you save fat from things you cook, like the <laughs> duck and the chicken and stuff, the goose. put mm-hmm. a tablespoon into your salad dressing. Oh, no it kidding. is killer. It makes the vinaigrette muscular in a way that is just luscious. I always have chicken fat or duck fat around. I'm going to try that. Yeah. I've used it for everything. I've never used it as a substitute oil. Mm. That's a great idea. Mm. The first time we ever roasted a goose, I was amazed at how much like beautiful white fat came out. Yeah. Mm. And then I saved it all. And then that with like green beans, it's like... I grew up, my mom's Austrian, so, delicious. so we had goose all the time, and my, there was a canister of goose fat. It just didn't go in the fridge. It stayed on the stove. And it was better than the, than yeah. the goose itself, the it, fat. It was, it was what we used instead of butter for cooking. It was always there on the stove for with a spoon what? in it. French fries uh, and potatoes? Yeah, and... potatoes, cooking oh, vegetables, gosh. whatever. Not a lot, just a little spoonful. And I'm telling you, you grow up that way, and you, that taste, as soon as you taste it, the smile comes on my face. You know how you think you, it's really hard to put duck on a grill? Because so much fat in there, yes. and it causes a fire. And then the skin is burned, and the duck's not cooked. And so it's really tricky. Do you remember that Ina Garten trick? She takes uh, usually a whole duck, but you could do this with just a few duck breasts, and puts it in simmering a pot of simmering water. That's right. I think it's for 10 minutes. 
and then the fat drains right off the duck breast, yeah. but you've still got the skin, and then it's like having a chicken breast on the grill. Interesting. Or you could use the yeah. indirect method for grilling, where you don't put the food directly over the charcoal. Mm-hmm. or the, he knows. Or the, so you make a space, and you'll put the charcoal on either side of the grill, and you'll have a space in the middle where you can put the chicken or the duck in there, and so you'll get all the flavor. It'll brown it, but it won't flame. See, Donald, I think you're a better griller than I am because I can't, I can't then get the skin as mahogany crisp you as will. I want to get it. Trust me. Just keep it in the middle yes, zone. Yes, keep it in the middle. Okay. And keep and the, the lid on. Right? Keep the lid on, yes. Yeah. I think okay, the hardest thing about grilling shot. is you really have to know the charcoal, right? You really have to yes. know, like, how much to put on, where to place mm-hmm. it. And it's not hard. It's just practice, right? Mm-hmm. You just yes. You keep doing it, and you know, like, if I use this much and I put it in this configuration on the grill mm-hmm. with a hole or a one side or whatever. Yeah. You learn how to do it and how to do it for each thing that you cook, yeah. whether it's duck or chicken. I mean, and that's why Well, I'm a novice grill griller. Yeah. I'm, I'm you, the first with to With most admit. grills now, you, you can control the temperature with the vents. See, that's another thing you have to learn, Top right? and yeah. bottom. Top yeah. and bottom. You know, Ina would boil the duck ahead of time. Why do people boil ribs ahead of time? Because then you don't have to watch them as long on the grill because if you just do them on the grill and not cook mm-hmm. them first, then, like Don was saying, you have to have it on the indirect mm-hmm. heat. You have to be very careful. You have to keep watching it. And if you boil it, it just cuts your cooking, the right. time that you need to do that down. And it removes a lot of the fat, right. just like with that, so you don't have the flare-ups. When we do ribs now, most of the time, we'll smoke them for a long period yeah. of time. Oh, yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. so we, I don't boil, we don't boil them for us. You make sure you get them, you got to get the membrane off. Well, you, well, you can the buy them now with, yeah. with the membrane Remove. already taken off. Yep. But that yep. has to come off. You put a rub on them. You put them. We cook them slow, maybe about 250 degrees mm-hmm. for about for what, five, two, six, three hours. Yeah, maybe a little longer oh, than that. Yeah. And in the last hour or so, we'll take them off. We'll wrap them in aluminum foil. That's the key. And that Let keeps them, them keeps them moist, and yeah. it'll they'll get tender, and yeah. it's great. Right. All off the bone. Yeah. When are we coming oh. over? Yeah. <laughs> Anytime you'd like. Yeah, Don, you're gonna have Love to bring roots. those to the studio. We, we can have do to that. Test that. We can do yeah. that. <laughs> A couple baked potatoes on the side. Yeah, some grilled corn. I'm in. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm back to my old trick with strawberries. Of course, you can get strawberries from other places Mm -hmm. in the country when it's past our local strawberry time. And the way that I make them a little more flavorful is to do a little quick roast in the oven. Brings out some of the sugars and stuff like that. Remember from last year, I started buying this cake and grilling the cake. Oh, yeah, I do remember buttered this. Buttered and grilled. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was a walnut, I think, bourbon cake. Yeah, yeah. And I would just grill slices of that. And then it oh had a gosh. crispiness to it. <laughs> yeah. And then do that whole roasted berries in a yeah. bowl with a little bit of sugar. And so they would yeah. juice up. And then just drizzle it all over that piece. So I'm back to that now. Nice. I'm thinking that cake goes in the cast iron with the butter. Wonderful oh. idea. With the duck fat and everything. Just yeah. <laughs> wonderful. Don't just laugh, I might try it. Oh. A little Mexican corn. Summer, it's the best time to eat. A little cortilla oh, cheese so on top. Crema. Oh, my God. So... <laughs> so fun as a season. Oh, love you know, because it. it's sort of like anything goes. You can just try anything. Does anyone have a zucchini recipe? I'm always trying to figure out. We're how making to pickles cook zucchini again out of it. They're because everywhere. We yeah, you know, we're I making was, pickles. I was looking at Food Network magazine and they were advising somebody who had kids. And I think 
is he around your age, so around 10, 11? They love zucchini. And she said, what else can I do? And one of the chefs on Food Network said, cook them and then scoop out the inside of the half of zucchini so that it looks like a boat. And then to fill it up with the inside zucchini with sausage, cooked sausage. Mm. I don't like zucchini. I just never did. <laughs> it's okay not to like zucchini. You scoop it all out and you fill it with bacon and yeah, <laughs> you'll like yeah. it. Yep, and corn. And <laughs> um, Alex, what are you going to do with it, your zucchini? I do like on a garden's recipe. I coat it with mayonnaise, which sounds strange, but then I grill it. And the mayonnaise works better than olive oil because it sticks to the zucchini. Cut it lengthwise. And I like really love it that way. But some people have a problem with the texture of zucchini. For example, Matt doesn't like it. So my only other recipe is I slice it and then I saute it in cast iron with uh-huh. a little onion. And then I do a dollop of like sour cream at the end. And that's how my mom used to make it. You know, mm-hmm. I love it that way too. I do love but, grilled zucchini. Oh, love roasted too. Grilled and roasted is the way I Yeah, like I, lo- it. I love yeah. it caramelized, and it tastes great to me. It's a little too neutral otherwise. It's like tofu. There's a million things you can do with it to make it more interesting. You know, Izzy, I know you're Asian food fan. We could yeah. do some Asian spices on that thing. Oh, uh, yeah, like a stir-fry. We could mm. just mix some Asian, mm. you know, some Indian, Yeah. maybe some Japanese stuff. be kind of fun to experiment. Yeah. But you don't have to like it. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers. We're at foodschmooze.org, and of course, we'll be right back. This is the Food Schmooze Party, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, East End of Long Island, the Hamptons, of course. Senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken, and to hear the show on Connecticut Public Radio, it airs Thursdays at 3 and 9 and Saturdays at noon. Podcasts and our curated recommendations are always online at foodschmooze.org, so you can listen on your schedule. You can talk with us, and we love hearing from you and hope you are enjoying it. It's all there to make you happy. I've been waiting for this book to come up in our rotation because I love this thing. It's called Eating with Peter, A Gastronomic Journey. It's written by Susan Buckley as a kind of culinary memoir. What happens is that Susan meets a man named Peter Buckley, and he's one of these larger-than-life people, physically and emotionally. 
And they start on a food adventure together because Peter is one of these guys, and Susan soon finds out. And so this book is filled with stories of their gastronomic journey together all over the world. They end up getting married and cooking for people. Talk about a beach read. This is such a wonderful thing. Susan Buckley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Faith. This is very exciting. You have a quote at the start of the book, and that quote is from someone who was a friend of mine, Michael Bessie. Oh, Uh, my gosh. Yes. He said, there are many people like other people, but there was no one like Peter Buckley. And you said in your opening sentence, being married to Peter Buckley was not always easy. Living with larger-than-life personalities seldom is, but it was never boring. And so begin all of your adventures. So you did this... I don't know how you recalled the thousands of food and wine and cocktail experiences you had all over the world with him, and yet you do. It's remarkable. Did you keep diaries? You know, I didn't very much. Sometimes I had notes, like Mike Bessie said that right after Peter died, and I had written it down in a little journal that I kept at that point, and I had the menus. That was very helpful, like the menus from Trogro and Barrier and some of those very fancy restaurants we went to in that crazy wedding special trip. Can you describe what that was? Yes. Peter decided that the word honeymoon was much too plebeian, so he decided that we were going to go on these wedding specials. The wedding special part one was a month in now Belize, but then it was British Honduras. The food wasn't very special, but the adventures were. In the fall, we went to Europe and Morocco and involved lots of food in lots of wonderful ways. And at some point, in a way that I cannot imagine doing today, we had like five three-star meals in the course of about two weeks. We were at um, Barrier in Tours and at Trogros in Rouen and then Bocuse. But, you know, it was very different then. I mean, it sounds so crazy that you could possibly do this. And now, as one friend of mine said, you have to bring a truck of money to do that. But then it was expensive, but it wasn't insane. The food was spectacular, but it really was the experiences we had with the people. And that is something that I say when people ask me about, you know, well, we couldn't do this today. I I say, really, the most key element of all this, I think, was Peter's curiosity. He made friends with all these people. And that's why we ended up going to the market with Jean Trogros and getting to know him. So how did that happen? You'd be in one of these places that we now think of as a temple. The chef would come out and suddenly be inviting you to go with with him or her to the market or to be invited to dinner. Could they just tell that you were so appreciative of every aspect? In the case of Trocro, which was kind of the most wonderful one of all those experiences, we were staying in the hotel. After dinner, we went we had to sort of go through a little passageway to get back to our rooms. We see this man um, who clearly was Jean Trogros. He was all dressed in his chef outfit. He was playing cards with a very elderly woman who was his mother. Peter realized who they were, and because he was completely bilingual in French and English, he said then in perfect French, your son has just given me the best meal that I've ever eaten in my long life or something like that. And they were so fascinated with this person who spoke perfect idiomatic French. Pretty soon, this rapport developed. That's why he said, well, you know, come to the market with me the next morning, which was quite an amazing experience. So this keeps happening all over the place. I want to invite people to do something right now. On Facebook, 
Would you tell me about a meal or a dish or a place that you remember with someone you loved? It could be a family member, whoever it might be. Just that experience of being away or being in the house and do your own little stories. And we're on Facebook at Faith Middleton Fuchmoose. I'd love to hear that. And they're emotional too, right? I'm almost like ready to cry thinking about some of these meals you share with people. It ties into your emotional core somehow, food and these yes. these experiences. Well, that, that was the most true in the years that we went to small hotels and restaurants on Lake Annecy. That was just an unbelievable experience. And the relationship with the Tucinardi family was really just incredible. And we finally got to the point where we realized that, that we couldn't order much because it was like having your mother in the kitchen, you know, who you couldn't send the plate back with anything on it. They loved me dearly, but they were particularly fascinated with Peter. And because he was bilingual in French and English, he could have this relationship with these people that was very deep. So you're from Louisiana, so you you know food. On the other oh. hand, I don't think you probably could have imagined that this was going to be your life. If you two had been doing reporting, it would have been appropriate. This is what food journalists do around the world. So this was like a couple of food journalists. Right. Well, I always wish there, somebody had been able to do a, a New Yorker profile on Tucci, as we called him, because he was just fascinating. He was really of the old school of French chefs. He consciously went from having two stars to one because he decided he didn't want to cook such fancy food. I had heard this story, and I w- wondered if it was true. And, Chris, it is. The, the, yeah. Here's a chef who said, I don't want your other star. I'm wanna, giving it back to you. I want to do simple food. I think there were like 50 covers in the dining room when it was full. And he did all of that with himself, one sous chef and a dishwasher. That's amazing. And yeah. his ancient mother, who it's... peeled all the potatoes. So, Susan, I, I, in, in our travels through Italy, eating in places, I saw a lot of mothers in the kitchen, in the kitchen. doing things like peeling potatoes and pulling strings off of string beans. Oh, exactly. Probably all their recipes. Susan, the thing I was trying to get at, though, was about you. Was there a point at which you looked back and said, how did I become this person whose life revolves around this kind of food and cooking and these, everything culinary? Well, it all seemed very natural when I was in the middle of it because it was just family life. And I was working as an editor and writer, and we always had lots of company, but it didn't seem as unusual until I actually sat down and sort of writing, eating with Peter, and I realized, hmm, it wasn't all fancy restaurants. That was the most important thing, mm-hmm. because it's really about markets and bullfighters and the wonderful purveyors. If I might be so bold, I want to say for me what this book is about, um, it's called Eating with Peter by Susan Buckley, our guest. It's about that experience of being with someone who loves the experience of food and drink as much as you do and goes in, you know, hoping to be surprised by something good, appreciates when there's something fantastic on the plate. And even if the food is just okay, it's so wonderful to be together and there's that conversation at the table. For me, that's the emotional core of this book. I thought about that a lot. It is very much like when I would read about Julia Child and her husband. Being married to Peter and eating with Peter, 
was always about the great pleasure of what we were eating and where it came from and how he'd made it. And there very often was company who'd come to join us and always having a wonderful time. Yeah. And and not that it's fancy. You know, Peter was not a fancy cook, but the food, it was always something that gave everybody joy at the table, unless it was shocking, as I described. Sometimes he'd serve something that, like octopus salad to somebody who'd never seen an octopus. But... But they'll never forget it. That was true. He's a bit of a double. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Peter, he's a bit of Peter a double. He wanted to take a little action. You know, I mean, if things got boring, he was going to make a little action. He'd say something unbelievably outrageous. You know? <laughs> um, let me just say. You know, I thought it was funny. I mean, some people could have thought, how in the world can she be married to this man? <laughs> no, you I know? thought it was, it was funny. Outrageous. I thought it was wonderfully outrageous in the best mm-hmm. way. Thank you so much. I want to say that we've posted a couple of the recipes from your memoir. One is um, Mary Hemingway's ceviche, and what a nice little connection that was, and also your couscous salad, because it's that time. Thank you for letting us do that and for talking with us, Susan. Susan Buckley, author of Eating with Peter. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me, Faith. So don't we all at our table here know that experience of being with someone else who loves food and drink as much as you do? Oh, yeah. I mean, we all have stories like that. I go to Paris with my father, and we have 3 o'clock oysters. It's a different place every single time. It's Glass it, of wine? Yeah, glass of wine. The conversation and the food become one. Like even looking at an oyster menu sometimes, I'll be transported back to a bar in Paris, and we're sitting there. It's, the food memories are so powerful. It goes beyond the food, these experiences. My grandparents in Spain, we'd go visit, and I didn't understand what they were saying. I didn't speak Spanish. And they were that old-fashioned, stoic Spaniards. But I knew my grandmother loved me through the way that she cooked. I would like to steal an idea from Susan. Remember she said she wasn't keeping a journal, but she was keeping menus. And Mm. I do the same thing. Whenever I have a special dinner with someone, I try to ask if they have a paper menu that I can take. Mm. I even will maybe write the date on it. You know, and it gets tucked away. Maybe you're not going to write a memoir. That's okay. But whenever you pull Mm -hmm. that menu out from your uh, collection of things, you're going to remember that person and that meal. It transports you back. Yeah. So, Faith, you and I have our mutual wine friend who has his favorite restaurant in Paris, Taiwan. So Mm -hmm. Matthew and I had gone there for Thanksgiving. And before I went, I talked to our friend, and he had mentioned how during one of these elaborate dinners, he fell asleep in the middle of it. And so he just remembers someone tapping him on the shoulder, you know, waking him up. So when we went to Taiwan, this is one of his favorite restaurants, I asked the maitre d', who spent a lot of time with us, if he remembered. And sure enough, he did remember. No our kidding. Friend, yeah. No kidding. So to Robin's point, I brought home the menu. And then I went to go see your friend, and it meant so much to him to be able to see the menu from his favorite restaurant. At this point, he's not traveling like he did. Uh-huh. But just that memory of seeing the paper and really, I thought, was Sparks the memory. pretty emotive. Yeah. yeah, pretty so, special. So if there's a memory like this that you remember on Facebook or someone you want to pay tribute to because they love the experience of food and wine, as much as you do, and it's just fun to adventure with that person in that world. Talk to us on Facebook, Faith Middleton, Fuchmoos, mm-hmm. Donald Walker. Well, I guess the person I enjoy the most experiences with is my best friend, which is my wife. We've been going to St. Martin's for many, many years, and it was a place where we used to stay. They used to make this lobster creole. In the morning, you'd hear the ladies in the kitchen. They were natives of the island. 
breaking open the lobsters and taking it out. It had an honor bar. It was as much as you could eat. We loved the people. We loved yeah. the food. And we loved just being having this intimate conversation on the beach in an open-air restaurant. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the understanding between you and Tony that you both love that kind of culinary adventure together. I mean, isn't it a dimension of your lives together that is is so important? Yes, it is. It it brings us closer together many times that, you know, after the hustle and bustle of the day or whatever, we get a chance to come together and just enjoy each other and keep our relationship fresh. And the food is part of that. Uh, And you know what the best part? He's passing it on to another generation. Okay, let's go to Isabella Nunez. So, Izzy, you and I, we could be food friends because we share, I think, we like the same kinds of... Like, what are your yeah. favorite foods that you like in the restaurants? One of my favorite restaurants is an Indian restaurant. I really like their traditional bread that's called naan. They have all different kinds, and it's really good. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen the oven, how they make it? They don't show it. If you get the chance, I bet they'll show you the oven. It's this big thing, and they stick the dough to the inside of the walls of the oven. It's really neat. Wow. Alex is right about that. And I think you and I share a love also of Japanese food. We like sushi. Yeah. Where do you go? We usually go to a place in Milford called Tenga. So, Izzy, tell me about this whole thing about cooking with a group. Does That happens in your house, right? Yes. How's it go? Everybody has their own separate jobs to do. One person is in charge of the cutting one is in charge of, like, the washing and the taking off the there's, like, stickers if you're using <laughs> apples or oranges. And one person is in charge of the cooking part. I like that when I'm with a bunch of friends or family and we're all doing different things and it all comes together. Do you? Yeah. Does anybody stop and taste something and say, I think it needs more of this? Yes. Usually one person tastes it and then they say, try it. We sometimes don't agree. Does it really need anything? You know, that's how we cook in the restaurant. We pass it around when we're done with it, and everyone gets to give their opinion. And sometimes we're in agreement, and sometimes we're not. Mm. (laughs) We we do a lot of cooking to taste. Uh. Izzy is very modest. She does a lot of the tasting, and she will say, this needs a little fennel, or this needs a little more basil. And all good chefs are modest. So tell your grandfather that's the way we are. <laughs> She's very modest and humble. <laughs> Izzy, thank you very much for coming on the show and for listening to the show. It You're really welcome. means a lot. Is there anything that we should do more of on the show? No. you have any requests? More music? Less music? Different music? I like music? it just how it is. Oh. Oh, thanks, Izzy. Thank you. Thank Come you. back anytime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we like you just how you are too. Thank you. So that is Isabella Nunez, proud to have her on the show, and her proud grandparent, Associate Professor Donald Walker at Gateway Community College. We're on Connecticut Public Radio, Thursdays at 3 and 9, and Saturdays at noon. Weekdays, listen for my 60-second food schmoozes, and never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Everybody eats 
Hey, don't want the party to end? Well, neither do we. Talk with us anytime online at foodschmooze.org.